Hi folks, while Paul's back in the UK, I've had a bit of a rummage around some of my favourite episodes and I've come across this gem. And don't forget, if you're a recent listener, we've got almost 70 episodes in the old back catalogue. But this one, well, it's about calendars, emperors, popes and Paul's hometown hero, the Earl of Macclesfield. Hi everyone and welcome to Heroes and Howlers and the Rest is History. I'm Mikey Robbins. I'm a bit of a history nerd. But my mate Paul Wilson. Hi, everybody. Paul's a proper historian, all the way from Oxford. Thanks, Mikey. Okay, folks, so here's the show. It's about the unsung heroes, the bizarre twists of fate, those weird bits of history that have so surreptitiously changed the course of mankind. Yeah, actually, mate, it's also about the cock ups. <laughs> yeah. the, those howlers, the moments of madness, they're sometimes tragic, sometimes comical, that have made the world what it is today. G'day folks and welcome to this week's episode. We're going to be talking calendars. I've got a bit of trepidation going on here, Paul, because <laughs> I know there is maths coming up and yep. numbers and we've been through this before. So look, I'm going to say this right at the top. If you've got a pencil and paper nearby, go and grab it because it's going to come in handy. <laughs> yes. But let's start with the idea of calendars. Yep. Every civilization had a calendar. Well, that's right. You know, it doesn't matter where you go in history, you'll always find a calendar, won't you, to keep track of what's happening during the year. And of course, in Europe, traditionally, we've always used the Roman calendar. Yeah, but man, it's not just Roman calendars, because how the hell are we ending up in Macclesfield? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, I, uh, those of you who know me will know that I come from Macclesfield, a little northern town um, in England. But we're going to get to that later, Mike. Let's stick with the calendars first. And the Roman calendars, of course, start with the old Roman legends, Romulus and Remus. And the interesting thing I always thought is that the, the earliest Roman calendars seem to have only had... 10 months. Yeah. What? How does that work? Well, they start in March, right. yeah, after Mars, yeah, the god of war, and they end in December. Dis! Deck, yeah, yeah, the 10th month, yeah, Nov being the 9th month. But, of course, that meant they were a bit short, so they, what they would do was stuff in about 50-odd more days when no one was looking, everyone's asleep, during the middle of winter. So, obviously, by the time you get to the Roman Republic, they realise that's not really the best way of going about things. So they say, no, no, we need to have... 12 months and that's when they introduce January and February and that's when they start going in properly with the lunar calendar because your lunar cycle of course is 29 it's actually 29 and a half days okay that's the first number you need to write down (laughs) so the lunar cycle is 29.5 days Lunar cycles, 29.5 days. So they get, okay, we'll have 12 months and they'll all have probably about 29 or 30 um, with the odd one, 31. And they're going to keep February for at 28, the old, very, very old traditional number for a month. But unfortunately, once you add all those together, Mikey, the total you get is 355. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, that's around <laughs> about 10 days short. <laughs> exactly. So that is far too short for the solar year, how long it takes the Earth to go around uh, the sun. And as you can imagine, it doesn't take too long for you to be completely out of alignment with all the seasons, with all the natural phenomena. And that, Mikey, actually is what's happened with the Islamic calendar. That's why the Islamic calendar and things like Ramadan seem to always happen at different times every year. Because we have to remember, that when we are talking about calendars and, and the seasons, these calendars aren't just a way of keeping dates. It's also you know planting and harvesting and trade that has to go on. Exactly. So what the Romans would do, because they were 355, because they were 10 days short, 
every three years or so, they had what they called this mensis intercalaris, this intercalendary month that they would use and they're just sort of sl- slotted in <laughs> in between February and March every few years just to catch up. So every three years you get a mensis intercalaris. That's right, yeah. And in, in 46 BC, we know from Cicero's letters that one of these mensis intercalaris is due And Julius Caesar, he's uh, in charge at this time. He's just come back from a big campaign in Africa. And he's thinking, you know what, boys? This really isn't working. There's got to be a better solution to this. So he calls in all the great minds, um, all the mathematicians, the astronomers, and particularly a guy called Sosigenes of Alexandria, a Greek uh, mathematician. And he says, look, can you, what can we do here to fix this all up, we need to get from 355 to obviously to 365. Because, of course, Alexandria at this time is, is like the great university city of the world, of the, the Western world. With the big library, exactly. Yeah. So what they do is they go, all right, well, let's add a couple of days to some of the months. Uh-huh. Let's add one day to the other months. For some reason, they kept February at 28, but they said we'll have a leap year every four years with an extra day, 366, and that should sort us all out and get us back on track. Hang on, I'm just writing this down. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, okay. And so they do that, but then they realise, actually, hang on, things did, under the Republic, things did get so out of sync, we're actually going to need to have two mensis intercalaris <laughs> this year because we need to get 67 days shoved in <laughs> to really get us back exactly where we want to be. But they just want to do this for the year of 46 BC. Only one. The only time we need to do it, do it once and we'll all be out the way. Um, and so 46 BC goes down as this extra long year and what Cicero calls the last year of confusion. Okay, so then in 45 BC, the Julian calendar comes into effect and everybody's happy. So this is the famous Julian calendar named after Julius Caesar. That's right. And he says to old uh, Sisogenes, he says, oh, but I'll tell you what, mate, while you're at it, do you mind just this uh, fifth month Quintilius? Quinn being Latin for five. Right, and in the old system, before January and February were added, that had been the fifth month. But now, of course, old JC says, yeah. now that's actually the seventh month. That doesn't make much sense. Um, it's not number five anymore. We don't need that. Why don't we just change it to Julius or July, just after me? And that's, that kicks off a bit of a tradition, doesn't it? <laughs> well, that's it. He says, Dumbo, yeah, by the way, don't put your abacus away just yet because my adopted son, Octavian, I've got a feeling he might want to change his name to Augustus and he'll probably want to have a month named after him as well. And that's how we got August. Okay, folks, how are your pencils and papers going? And look, I'm going to give you a heads up. You're going to need them, like, now. Okay, so with the Julian calendar and the leap year, your average year is now 365.25 days long. I got that, right. Which, you know, it's pretty good. You're almost there because the solar year, Mikey, is 365.25. Two four two one nine. Uh-huh, right, <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's the current value as it stands today. But it does but vary, doesn't it? It does vary. The size of the sun, the speed of the Earth going round, it can change by, you know, but we're talking decimal points. But even so, even though it's only decimal points, the Julian calendar does gain a day every 128 years. I'm looking at 128 years, so that's going to need remedying at some stage. Exactly. So in 1582, Pope Gregory Thirteenth, he says, now... Nah, no, come on, guys. We're, we've got to get closer to the actual solar year. I like the leap year plan. Oh, yeah. Well, who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> but I think we need to tweak it a little bit. So he says, okay, we're already 10 days ahead of ourselves. So we're going to cut 10 days out of the calendar, just this once. And then we're going to reduce the year from the Julian calendar 365 
3.25. Right, you got that. To the new Gregorian 365.2425. This is the birth of the Gregorian calendar. Right, so he's going to have this new Gregorian calendar. And the way this works is you've got your leap years, yeah, divisible by four. Uh, but he says, apart from all those years that are divisible by 100, the centurial years, they will not be leap years unless, yeah. double caveat, it's also divisible by 400. Uh, that makes sense because the year 2000 was a leap year. Exactly. So 1700, 1800, 100. 1900, for example, no. not a leap year, but 1600 and 2000. Yes, they are leap years. And I would like to say, and the rest is history, but... Okay, what's the but? Well, okay, the problem is the guy who's decided all this, Pope Gregory the 13th... Oh, right, yeah. Well, you, is we, a pope. And Europe is now embroiled in... Yeah, this is 16th century, yeah, religious wars, Protestantism, Reformation. So the Catholic countries, they say, yeah, sure, great idea, Pope. We'll do that, Gregory, no problem. We'll adopt your new calendar. <laughs> but, of course, the Protestants hold out, the Eastern Orthodox Church in Greece, they hold out, yeah, the, the, the big boys, the Berbers down in the Maghreb, <laughs> the, yeah, those desert tribes, they say, no, we're not having it. But the biggest spanners in the works... Or in England. Okay, folks, so today we're talking calendars. We've just had the Gregorian calendar rear its head in 1582. That's causing trouble in Europe, it's causing trouble with the Berbers, and it's causing trouble in England. And I'm guessing this is where your mate Macclesfield comes in, right? <laughs> That's right, Mikey, because yeah, obviously uh, you can probably tell from my voice, I'm not from Sydney originally. I'm from a market town called Macclesfield, which is in Cheshire. And so today I actually want to talk about a guy called the Earl of Macclesfield and whether he should go down as a hero or as a howler. Okay, so the Earldom of Macclesfield, it's actually created twice, Mikey. It's, first of all, it's created 1679 during Charles II's reign, and that's a guy called Charles Gerard. Now, you've been to London, you've been to Soho, I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure you've been to Chinatown. I have indeed. Indeed. So if you go down there, um, you'll see Gerard Street, yep. you'll see Macclesfield Lower. Street, yep. and there's a great pub called Dams. Um, and you know, I recommend anyone listening out there, if you have a chance, go and visit. But unfortunately, that incarnation of the Earldom dies out. But in 1721, it's revived, and the lawyer Thomas Parker, who's born in Leek, which is near Macclesfield, right. um, he becomes uh, the Earl of Macclesfield. And he actually does really well for himself. He becomes the Lord Chief Justice of the Queen's Bench. And then from 1718 to 1725, he actually becomes the Lord High Chancellor. That's a pretty big gig. It is a big gig, and unfortunately probably a bit too big for him because suddenly he gets convicted for corruption right. <laughs> and he's fined £30,000 and he's thrown in the tower. But don't worry, his son, uh, George, he succeeds him. He becomes the second Earl, and he is actually a very distinguished astronomer, Mikey, and he's the president of the Royal Society. Which is about as high up as it goes for the scientific minds in England. Exactly. So, Paulie, England's Protestant at this stage, so is it still on the Julian calendar? Yeah, we're still on the Julian calendar. Now, Elizabeth I, she tried actually to do some reforms, and in the 1580s, she even proposed that they adopted the Gregorian calendar, but unfortunately it was rejected for being too popish. A popish calendar, there you go. Actually, I just thought of an idea of a calendar of popes on it, but keep going. All right, okay. So, yes, England is still using the Julian calendar, but with a few quirks of its own, because, you see, in 11... 55. Oh, all the uh, way back then, you're right. Yeah, remember our old mate Henry II, yeah, the first of the Plantagenets? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In 1155, England has decided that they're going to have their New Year's Day on the 25th of March 
not the 1st of January. 25th of March, that rings something in my dark recesses of Catholic knowledge. <laughs> yes, it should do. It's, of course, Lady Day, you know, the Feast of the Annunciation, when Gabriel goes and visits Mary and tells him that she's going to be the mother of Jesus. Yeah, not one of Joseph's better days. <laughs> So in England, uh, Mikey, for example, yeah, the 24th of March, 1750, yeah. is followed by the 25th of March, 1751. Oh, right. Okay, I'm going to write that down. 751, right. And then the 31st of December, 1751, right. is followed by January the 1st. 1751. Okay, fine, right, yeah, yeah, still my head in, but I'm with you so far. Okay, so by the time this George II Earl of Macclesfield becomes the president of the Royal Society, everyone agrees, yeah, that New Year's Day should move to January the 1st, like everyone else, but of course, there are some problems with that, there are some consequences with that, because all financial transactions, or contracts, or rents, they all start at the beginning of the year, which is March the 25th, and run through to the end of the year. Right. So the Earl of Macclesfield said, well, hang on, let's just cut 1751, shave off three months. It can be nine months long, and no one will be any the wiser. Okay, 1751 suddenly becomes nine months long. <laughs> but that's just for one year, right? Just for one year, and then 1752 will start on January the 1st, we'll kick off with a new idea, and everyone will be happy. Are they going to adopt the Gregorian calendar now? Well, that's what the Earl of Macclesfield recommends. Yeah, if we're going to do this, why don't we adopt the Gregorian calendar at the same time right. yeah, and clear it all up once and for all? Which would bring them in line with all their trading partners in Europe. And also in terms of religion, it would help as well, because as you know, Easter is supposed to be celebrated on the first Sunday after the spring equinox. And that all goes back to the first council of Nicaea back in 325 AD. Now, unfortunately, in 325 AD, it was very easy because the full moon was Sunday and Sunday the 21st of March. Right. But of course, the moon's been moving around. And so Easter's now had to become the first Sunday after the 21st of March, as long as there's also been a full moon <laughs> in the meantime. And of course, because England's still using the Julian calendar, Everything's really got out of sync with that spring equinox and with the Easter celebrations. So this change is really going to help, right? That's right. Yeah, so it's 1750 now, Mike. It's George II. Ah, German George. German yeah, George. He barely spoke a word of English. <laughs> yeah, George II. He's on the throne. He's actually the last king to be born outside of England. Um, and he's speaking with the Earl of Macclesfield. And he says, OK, yes, I agree. 1752, New Year's Day, will be January the 1st. That means 1751 will only last 282 days, but we're happy with that. Now, the hard bit, Mr. Macclesfield, what are you going to do with these extra 11 days? Yeah, my math says there's 11 days hanging over. That's right, because in the 16th century, when Gregory changed it, there was only, there were only 10 days ahead. Right. But now, of course, we're 200 odd years later, so we're now 11 days ahead. Yeah, so he needs to get rid of, lose, if you like, 11 days. So the Earl of Macclesfield has a look through the calendar, and he decides that the best way of doing this is in September. And to have Wednesday, the 2nd of September, just once, just in 1752, It'll be followed by Thursday, the 14th of September, rather than the 3rd. If Australia had existed back then, they would have really mucked up the footy finals. <laughs> but seriously, did it have ramifications for business, for, for, for legal documents, for taxation? Well, that's it. Like we talked about before, if we're going to lose 
11 days, you know, what's, what's that going to do to rents and taxes and, of course, paychecks? Yeah. Of course, yes. So the government, now the Prime Minister at the time, Mikey, is a guy called Henry Pelham. He's really worried as well. So he says to the Earl of Maxwell, hang on, you're in the House of Lords. Even, even the Lords, right? He's an Earl, yeah. yeah. Why don't you propose this to the House? Maybe you could bring in a private members bill. So the Earl of Macclesfield has a chat around. Yeah, he's going to be the architect, the brains behind it. But he gets a guy called the Earl of Chesterfield to come on and propose it on the floor. And then he seconds it. So if they're moving 11 days, does that mean that they're going to move Christmas? <laughs> no, what they say is, look, we'll keep all the religious feast days the same. Yeah, so Christmas Day will stay on the 25th of December. But we'll move things like the agricultural markets so they're back in sync with the seasons. And there'll be a parliamentary order whereby... All those contracts are moved forward 11 days, but only for this one year, 1752. But even so, that's still very important, Mikey, um, because these quarter days, you know, March the 25th being the quarter day for spring, there were four quarter days during the year. And traditionally, they were when the rents were due, salaries were paid, new labour contracts were agreed. And of course, taxation ah. for the government was collected. So if they're going to move these contracts forward, by 11 days, suddenly everyone's going to lose 11 days worth of revenue. And that's why, Mikey, the UK tax year starts 11 days later, 11 days after March the 25th on April the 5th. Actually, nowadays it's actually April the 6th because they needed to do one last tinkering okay, in the right. leap year in 1800. All oh, right, 1800 was a leap year. Yeah, but you get the point. Right, yeah. And your man Macclesfield goes down as a hero and the rest is history. Not quite. Okay, Paulie, I thought we'd wrap this one up. I was about to put my pencil away. <laughs> but we've got to keep going because your mate Macclesfield... Is he a hero or is he a howler? That's right. Okay. Unfortunately, you see, these 11 days, they managed to sort out all the legals. They fixed up all the businesses. But if you're going to take away 11 days out of the calendar, particularly if it's in the middle of September, that's going to affect... The harvest. The harvest and, of course, the farmhands in the countryside. You see, back then, if you were tied to one of the largest states, the deal was you'd all be brought together to gather in the big harvest for the local lord of the manor, but then you get a few days' holiday to go back home or your parents' home and bring in a few extra crops from whatever bits you might have planted for yourself. And then, yeah, you'd all have a bit of, of a knees up for the local harvest festival before going back to your life of backbreaking toil. But if suddenly 11 days are disappearing from the calendar, well, you can guess who's going to lose out. So suddenly out in the fields, you've got all these protests amongst the farmhands, you know, you know, civil unrest, even rioting, they said. Yeah, they've got this, give us our 11 days back, Mr. Macclesfield. We want our holidays. And it's because of this that Macclesfield has gone down as a bit of a howler. But interesting, Mikey, this cloud might have a silver lining because I've done a bit of digging. Mm-hmm. And it seems to actually all go back to a painting by Hogarth. Oh, the great satirical artist and, and painter and, and, and etcher. That's right. Now, in 1755, he paints a painting called An Election Entertainment. And this depicts the Whigs in a tavern um, having dinner, celebrating the great win of the 1754 election, which brought the Duke of Newcastle to become Prime Minister. Now, in the bottom right-hand corner of that picture, Mikey, Mm -hmm. you can see underneath the table, there's a banner. 
uh, wrapped up in the corner. Now, the idea is it's a stolen banner. They've stolen it from the Tories from their election campaign because the story that Hogarth's trying to say is that the Tories were using this give us our 11 days back as a sort of rabble-rousing speech, especially in the countryside. And you've got the Tories um, standing outside the tavern, you know, looking through the window, looking all dejected. So this whole idea of these mass protests could have actually just come from a Hogarth painting. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it seems that there wasn't that much civil unrest at all. There wasn't any rioting. Yeah, sure, some of the farmhands were a bit ticked off, but actually most people all thought it was a bit of fun. Um, and there's this great tale of a guy called William Willett um, in Endon, which is, again, near Macclesfield. He's a famous practical joker, and he wages with all the men in the village that he can dance non-stop for 12 days and 12 nights. And sure enough, starts on the evening of Wednesday, the September the second. Well, he starts his jig in the middle of the village. Yeah, he starts in the village. He dances through the village, dances all day, dances all night. Still there the next morning. And of course, on the new calendar, it's the 14th of September. So he can stop dancing and claim all his bets. So, Paul, you're saying that you grew up in an area where people didn't really read newspapers. <laughs> Which could be true, actually, because you're the first person from Macclesfield I've ever met. That, that is true, Mikey, but I'm not the first person in Macclesfield to come to Australia because I'm very pleased to say, while I've been touring around the country since I've been here, yeah, I've actually found two Macclesfields. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> there's a very nice one in the Adelaide Hills. Uh, there's a great pub. Shout out to the boys at the Mackie, the Mac Arms. Um, and that was actually the Vernon family, uh, Mac a local Macclesfield family who came out in the 19th century and they created that village. And there's also a very, very small Macclesfield just outside Melbourne. There you go, folks. Gregorian calendars, Julian calendars, and more about Macclesfield than you ever needed to know. All right, folks, so there you go. Any questions, any comments, just drop us a line on all your social media. Same as usual, your Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whichever you prefer. That's right, and always the same handle, at the rest is hist. The rest is hist, and you'll find all that in the show notes. And whenever you're listening, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. On whichever platform you happen to use, it's always great to get your feedback. Yeah, keep it all coming. We're having lots of fun out there, lots of extra stories. And maps. There's always more maps. <laughs> right, which brings us to next week. And the good news is, Paul's back from the UK next week, and we're going to be rummaging around in the clandestine world of spies. But bad spies. Bad spies.